Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's soon to be former D3 student athlete and co-host. Giant jam, two-hand monster flush off the inbound. Brian Gam Slam Jam. Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at the Final Score Thirty Five. Plenty of topics to run through this week, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Service from the heart to become your Realtors for Real Life is Team Anders Realtors' mission. Team Anders serves its clients in finding the home that best fits their needs and makes the process simple and fun along the way. Team Anders is a team of people who will be in close communication with you, personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. Team Anders has served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. Draft day has come and gone and with it plenty of excitement. More on that in a bit. The Kentucky Derby was a classic, what seems like rare close race. The NHL and NBA playoffs are right around the corner. Oh, travesty if the Lakers might have to play in a play-in game, that'd be hilarious. MLB as well, MLB, especially for Tigers fans. Wow, are they epically bad. Anyway, this gives us plenty of time to go deeper into some topics that we've been asked about. And you know, uh, we will find a way to keep college hoops and football top of mind as often as possible. Speaking of which, just a week or so after our pod on the subject of a new and improved CSP, The Athletic reported some movement on a 12-team playoff. Are they listeners? Hmm... Let's go to the podium, Ryan. The lectern is yours. Yeah, great great weekend with the Kentucky Derby there. Great race. Probably the closest one I've seen in my lifetime. But uh, my podium take for the week is uh, just about Aaron Rodgers and his um, saga up there in Green Bay uh, with the pack uh, demanding out of Green Bay. Um, you know, this was in- an interesting movement on uh, Thursday on the first day of the draft. Kind of came out, reports saying that he wanted out, rumblings of that, told people he wants out. Um, and this is picking up even more steam now. Um, says he wants the GM gone or else he's going to retire or for, need a trade force, whatever, something like that. I don't know. He's all over the place with it. But obviously Packers fans are furious about this. Um, he's their franchise player, um, their star, reigning MVP. Uh, obviously Matt LaFleur is concerned because he's a stud. He's a great player and he makes them go. Um, you know, I think that not drafting a playmaker in the first round um, like they could have with some good guys on the board just shows that they might not be in it with Rodgers either. It could be a mutual thing, even though they're saying it's that they're not going to trade him or anything. Um, but in the long run, really could see him getting traded. Um, don't think the NFC is a possibility. I think the 49ers inquired about him, and they said, heck no. Um, and I, I think the Broncos might be in the best position right now for him because they didn't draft a quarterback um, and they're a young team, and they don't really have a proven quarterback right now, and they're probably w- um, willing to pay the money for him and see Peyton Manning uh, a few years ago doing the same thing. And uh, interesting stat, Brett Favre and Bart Starr, the two other best quarterbacks in the history of Green Bay, have only played 16, only played 16 seasons for Green Bay, and Aaron Rodgers just played his 16th season in Green Bay. So could be interesting moving forward with A-Rod. Um, don't know when he will be traded or if he's going to retire we'll see i was at the derby over the weekend he was kind of bum about it but 
Uh, yeah, so we'll see moving forward with him. It's going to be interesting to keep an eye on that, especially in the NFC North uh, as Lions guys. Um, you know, I wouldn't be mad to see him go because he's been a Lion killer his whole career. So, yeah, Aaron Rodgers' saga continues and will continue for as long as he wants it to go. Well, it's been he's been PO'd for a while. And then, you know, oh, last absolutely. year I saw something, you know, how – even the Bears let Andy Dalton know that they were drafting a quarterback, um, and he hasn't even played a game with them. And yet, last year the Packers never let bother to let him know that they were gra- drafting a quarterback. They've not been taking playmakers. Their arguments, probably like we talked about, I think last week on the draft pod, was you know like we can turn all these great you know these no name receivers into great receivers. We don't need to waste picks, but they've not been on the same page for a while. Reminds me a lot of the Carson Palmer wanting out of Cincinnati situation, retired uh, to ultimately force a hand and then quickly signed with the Arizona Cardinals. I could definitely see something like that. The other team to look out for in that case would be the Oakland Raiders. Um, Obviously, well, not Oakland, Las Vegas, um, but a little bit closer to his home of Northern California as well. So uh, it'll be one to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, My take... I'll probably keep it pretty short and sweet, but I'm just going to say, Michigan, mind your own damn business. A couple things that came up this weekend. I'm not on Twitter anymore, but Ryan's quick to tweet or text them my way when they come up. And as soon as the draft went by with the first time in 80-some years, Michigan State not having a draft pick, you know, somebody's trolling. I don't know if it was a coach or a player. Assistant coach. Assistant coach trolling Michigan State about not having a draft. You know, you might want to shut up because I believe your team full of draft picks lost to a team with no draft picks in your own home house last year. So, yeah, you want to give us more bulletin board material? We know where that goes. You might not believe in it. Michigan State sure believes in it. Ask Mark D'Antonio and the boys that followed after that. Not a smooth move. Then to to add to it, you go to basketball. Hunter Dickinson, biggest hack in college basketball, moving screen on every play, weighing in on the Amani Bates decommitment. Dude, mind your own business. You split one on one against Michigan State the last year. The worst Michigan State team in my lifetime. You're right, and not a not a great team. You didn't do squat against us. Shut up, Michigan. Shut up. This is why Michigan State hates you. And the thing is, is it fuels our fire. You say you wouldn't care if we'd said it, which is a bunch of crap because you care not only when we do it, but Ohio State does it. But mind your own business. Shut up. Cut a TG up, but that's my podium. You will learn one day. Maybe. Take care of your own your own house first. All right, moving on to our tee up of the week and sticking with kind of that uh, theme here. I'll tell you who and what, and Ryan will tell you why. And the who is RG three overrated bust of a draft pick. Ryan, tell us why. Yeah, so start off, um, you know, I think it was after day two, Kellen Mond got drafted by the Vikings. Good pick by them. Backup quarterback to backup Kirk up there in Minneapolis. Um, and he goes on some podcasts saying that Kirk Cousins has been taking too many paychecks from from Minnesota and the NFL, that he's he needs to be done, he's not good, all this stuff. It's like, come on, dude, shut up. First of all, Kellen Mond, I think he's a he's a decent he was a decent college quarterback. I don't think he's gonna be great in the NFL. I just don't think he has proven anything, to be honest with you. But I digress. But second, uh, Kirk has taken way too much crap for not being actually that bad. I mean, he's if you look at his stats, he's ranked up there with top tier quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, I realize his his. 
win total might not show that, but I mean, he's been doing what he can. I mean, he's been given bad offensive line. They finally draft an offensive lineman, which we'll get to here in a couple minutes. But I mean, the guy's kind of been put in bad situations. Yeah, he's not the best quarterback in the league. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying he's a top half quarterback in the league, and he has some good weapons to go along with it. It's just a matter of putting it together. And RG3, you can't say anything, man. You had one good year, one good year, your rookie year, and then you got hurt and Cousins took over for you, and you're probably butthurt that he took over for you. I mean, you, you, you haven't done anything. You've been a backup in the league for however many years for teams. You're the one that's stealing money because you don't do anything, and you just get hurt all the time. So, sorry, RG3. I thought that you could have been a great NFL quarterback after your rookie year, and then you've been trash ever since. So, shut up. I agree with that. I mean, again, mind your own business. Just because you're jealous and butthurt that a fourth-round draft pick that got drafted over top of you because they knew, Shanahan knew you'd probably suck, uh, that tells you something and you're still butthurt about it, just shut up. Go away. Go play wide receiver, fifth-string quarterback, whatever you are for the Ravens right now. So, All right. That all out of the way, let's go, as we always do, around the world. And we'll stick in the draft with spot number one. Uh, Ryan, give us a flavor, since especially you did such a great job last week breaking it all down. Give us, a, give us your take on what went down over last weekend. Yeah, uh, good draft. Fun to see the, the guys actually get to be there. People get to be there. Awesome. Um, I, the draft really started at three, like we kind of talked about last week on the pod. I mean, obviously, Lawrence and Wilson were the... Overall favorites to go first and second. Not, no surprise there. Trey Lance, first surprise at three to San Francisco. Really thought Mac Jones could be their guy. Uh, could be interesting to see what he does. I mean, I don't necessarily buy the hype right now. Um, I think a year behind Jimmy G or two maybe um, could be beneficial for him. But I don't know if that's what Shanahan's willing to do. I think he's in a situation where he kind of needs to start going right now with the talent that they have. Um, Kyle Pitts, fourth overall, really high for a tight end, but, I mean, he's a stud. He's a split end. He can play both tight end receiver block a little bit. Great hands. Love that pick for uh, Atlanta. Atlanta's the only – they have enough talent, but they're going to get in the way of themselves like they seem to do almost every – Jamar Chase, this was another big surprise at five. Really thought it was going to be Penny Sewell um, at this spot. Um, And they took Jamar Chase to hook up with his old pal uh, Joe Burrow. Um, love love his playmaking ability, but I don't know if that's necessarily the best choice for them and their needs. Even I, I just don't get it. The Bengals pulled a Lions and went yes, after they, they went, for went the after the, pick. the bling bling and not the you know, not the, the right pick. headline grabbing pick. So it should be interesting there. Another guy uh, getting back together with his old quarterback Waddle to Miami um, with Tua could be interesting there. Burner on the edge, great player, um, injury riddled like we said last week, but. Um, could be interesting for them. Lions, I think they got this one right. I'll just talk a little bit about their draft. I mean, Sewell, was, it was definitely, if he was available, he was their guy. I mean, you could see it if you saw the videos. Brad Holmes and all the executives high-fiving and hugging. I mean, this is the guy they wanted. A guy they can build a foundation around in the offensive line. The Lions' offensive line, for the first time in my life, turns into a strength of this team, which maybe this is the missing link. Who knows? That's really good. Um, drafted two big defensive tackles. Um, in the second, third round, from I can't remember the names, but they're big dudes, uh, proven pretty athletic for uh, being as big as they are. Could be uh, contributors day one. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown at receiver, that was a nice pick. Like his ability, not necessarily the fastest, most athletic guy, but really good possession receiver, should fit in really well. Um, Jamar Jefferson at 
Um, running back, that was the only weird pick I thought the Lions had. I thought they could have drafted a safety or linebacker. Also, Derek Barnes uh, from Purdue, I thought that was a great choice. He's a fast linebacker, can play edge a little bit, really good. Um, also got some good undrafted free agent receivers, uh, Sage Surratt from uh, Wake Forest and Jonathan Adams from Arkansas State, both proven really good players. So that's that's great for the Lions. First real surprise also that wasn't offense, first defensive player taken, J.C. Horn. Um, didn't know if he'd go that high, um, but went eighth to Carolina. Certain, not surprising. Broncos, it shows they might be in it for uh, – Mr. Rogers, uh, Devontae Smith, not a surprise. The Eagles also hooking up with an old quarterback. And Jalen Hurts could be interesting there in Philly. Hopefully they get it right because they've drafted three receivers in a row and the first two have not been good. So maybe it's the one. I think the Bears got a steal here in Justin Fields trading up to 11. I think that was a big move by them. Um, so maybe the Bears finally have their quarterback. No, Bears fans are happy about him. Um, so congrats. Maybe you'll uh, go 9-7 and seven next year. Uh, Cowboys, Micah Parsons like that pick a lot. Um, Chargers got Rashawn Slater. I think that's a big get for them, especially with Herbert being a young quarterback and a franchise guy moving forward. Got to protect him. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker to the Jets. Big to help uh, Mr. Wilson. Mac Jones, the Patriots. That just fits perfectly with Belichick, just a pocket passer that kind of can control the game. Has a big arm. Could be interesting. Um, we'll see. Uh, Zayvon Collins uh, to the Cardinals. That's a big pick for them. Their defense is bad, um, so that should help them out. Alex Leatherwood to the Raiders, another very helpful guy uh, to what they're trying to do. Got a nice, really nice playmakers and receiver. Uh, Derek Carr is not a bad quarterback. And Josh Jacobs, of course, is the running back. Doing good stuff over there in Vegas. Um, Jalen Phillips of Miami, good pick as well. Like that for them. Uh, Jameen Davis, a guy that only had one really good year of college, but he's 6'5", 240, and he's pretty fast. So I think that's a kind of a bit of a steal there for Washington. Uh, New York, they knew they needed a playmaker. They traded down. Kadarius Toney was graded early second, maybe mid-second. I think that was a bit of a reach by them. Not necessarily a great receiver, but has a lot of potential. Uh, Quiddy Pay, 21 of the Colts, um, also a lot of potential. Did some good things for Michigan, but I I don't know. He could be he's boomer bust in my opinion. Uh, Caleb Farley to the Titans. I like that pick by them. Physical corner, pretty long. Um, you know, I think he could be good for them. Injury riddled career, so maybe maybe keep an eye on that. Uh, Vikings fine, like I said, got help for Kirk Christian Darrisaw, tackle from Virginia Tech. Uh, big guy. He was graded anywhere from ten to mid second round, so he could be. Uh, he's probably a day one starter, to be honest with you. Pittsburgh, Najee Harris, big pick by them. They need a running back because of Connor being gone. I think this will really help out. Um, another guy getting back with his old quarterback, Travis Etienne to the Jags. Love that uh, Trevor to Travis connection there. Uh, Newsom, uh, Greg Newsom to the Browns. They need corner help. That's big for them. Rashad Bateman um, to the Ravens. Another big target possession receiver and pretty fast one at that um, for Lamar. Uh, Peyton Turner, I didn't, I didn't heard of this guy from Houston. He went to the Saints. The Saints are having an eye for talent, honestly, so that's big for them. Um, Eric Stokes out of Georgia going to the Packers. Like I said, this shows that Green Bay is not building around Rodgers, which is interesting. Buffalo Gregory Russo, big guy, um, had a couple decent seasons with Miami, has a lot of potential. Udufe Owa, never even heard of him. Oh, oh this is that Jason Owa guy, okay. 
from Penn State um, to the Ravens. Uh, could be interesting there. And then Joe Tryon, edge rusher for uh, the Buccaneers, a guy that can get to the quarterback, and they need that with um, Jason Pierre-Paul being old and on the last year of his contract. And the Buccaneers, all of a sudden, oh, wait, they were they won the Super Bowl last year. Never mind. They stay the same. They're going to be good. And they got Kyle Trask. So they got a quarterback for the future to learn behind uh, Mr. Brady. Yeah, I, I, interesting draft after not having fans for a year. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. First Lions loved, love that they went with a smart pick for what seems like the first time in ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, honestly, I don't know, dating back to Barry Sanders maybe. Um, you know, they followed it up with not sexy, but just fundamentally solid picks. And that's how you start to rebuild a franchise. Really good start from the new regime. I was happy with that. Um, you know, you, we talked last week, you can get receivers, you know, as steals out of free agency, or you can get them out of <coughs> unsigned, you know, undrafted guys. Um, so I'm glad they didn't go chasing like some of the other teams did. Um, you know, some big surprises for me, the Bears moving up to get their guy. Not that not that they got who they wanted, but that they actually were willing to kind of cough it up and, and get the right guy. I mean, with some of their puzzling draft picks of late, including Trubisky um, over to Sean Watson. Um, you know, Steelers taking, albeit great running back, um, when they really need help in the trenches. I don't know that they could have necessarily gotten him in the second round, but I don't know that he would have gone yet in the first round either. So we'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think he's going to be a stud, but you know, they, they got to get some guys to block for him first. We've seen that at Michigan state for years since 2016 Vikings take Mond in the second or the third round. Interesting. Um, but you know, like Ryan talked about cousin and cousins is in the last year of his mega contract. So I guess it's not really a surprise. You know, we'll see what goes down there. Maybe he goes back to, maybe Kirk goes back to Washington who didn't pick a quarterback this year. Uh, maybe finally silences his critics. You know, it's it's hard to say. Um, just because you took a guy in the third round doesn't mean he's he's your future. Now, if it was a first round pick, that'd be different. But um, I like that they put some help around Cousins for a change because that line was abysmal last year um, and really really put him in a lot of bad spots where he's you know fumbling or throwing picks or getting sacked, um, just running around like a chicken with his head cut off back there. Um, you know, in the vein of streaks are meant to be broken, mentioned a little bit earlier, no Spartans player drafted for the first time since 1941. Crazy. Um, that, to me, is a sign that that 2016 class that doomed the green and white to five straight years of nothing but problems and mediocrity, um, you know, the shame of it was Pittsburgh really probably could have used a corner there late. They have picked a big fat punter in the seventh round late, late, and they could have picked Shakur uh, there, but whatever. Uh, streaks are meant to be broken. Who cares? Big deal. Um, it's just kind of a fun stat to throw out on, on draft day, I guess. Um, fanfare of the event, like I kind of alluded to a little bit up top, Cleveland really showed out. Um, you know, I could have done without the 4,000. Yeah, they're vaccinated. They have masks, blah, blah, blah. It, who cares? We get it. I really do. As a viewer, I don't care if they're vaccinated or not. Oh, is it another super spreader event? Who cares? What is this, last year? Um, but I thought it was cool, you know, the mix into the music, the big fanfare. And it was, I didn't really watch much of day two or day three, but it seemed like day two when I did kind of catch glimpses was um, equally as hype, uh, which is really cool. You know, that's what, even though I'm a bigger college football fan, that's something that kind of sets the NFL apart is they, they kind of get all the other fanfare stuff with their fans and, and fans are, are definitely rabid. All right. So spot number two, 
We're going to change subjects here and talk a bit more about, as I mentioned up top, Imani Bates uh, and his decision to back off as a verbal to MSU and then the basketball factories that prep schools have become. Um, I'll start with prep schools and the circus they are. Back in the dark ages, you know, something like five to seven years ago, a prep school was a place for someone to go who was struggling academically, maybe someone who was a tweener age-wise, you know, that is maybe a little too young to make the college jump fully need a little more time to mature. Now we have supposed high schoolers opting into prep schools to enhance recruiting status, playing a basically what amounts to a semi-pro league. And at what cost? Sorry, but there is no way most of these schools give two shits about academics and preparing these kids for college. They have their own tournament on ESPN for crying out loud. They travel the country for awareness. It's becoming a bigger issue than AAU ever has even been. You know, AAU's big thing is the is the shoe guys in the shadows, but I'm telling you, this prep school thing is quickly overshadowing um, even the dark, shadowy corners of the AAU, and I am not a fan at all. Uh, you know, on one hand, I guess I get it. States like Michigan have some pretty archaic rules tied to the season, you know, how many games they can play, when the season is, can they go out of state and all that kind of stuff. You know, and look, many of the best players in Michigan have left due to the MHSAA's antiquated approach. I, I get that. So maybe really the answer is it's time for Michigan to fix what's broken so we could dump prep schools. On the other hand, we have what we have created, a supposed need for a solution, a.k.a. prep schools. These prep schools are mostly creating monsters like Imani Bates, guys who care about one thing and one thing only, themselves. I could go on and on about schools, but speaking of Bates... Let's get into him a little bit. All right, he is just a kid. I'll give you that. Kid or not, you know, Bates is making or being led to make some pretty questionable moves. He's a puppet, and Dad is pulling the strings, and the Bates camp pulls no punches when the subject comes up. They admit it. They're trying to set him up for what they want to set him up for. They aim to fully control his basketball experience. We've seen this a lot over the years with crazy parents, sometimes with success like Venus and Serena Williams, sometimes with great failure. Todd Marinovich, if you guys remember, USC quarterback. Uh, you know, Dad was renowned for doing some crazy stuff with him. Um, I, I just, I don't, I just don't see it. You know, I, I don't know. But let's put all that to the side and talk about his decommit for a second. I honestly never saw him coming to Michigan State, and really. I just, I just don't get the love affair with him. I've watched him. He's a head case. The smallest things send him into a rage. Okay, maybe because he's young, but still, if I'm looking at him, that ain't, that's not appealing to me. He's a ball hog. He plays no defense. You know, and Izzo will joke, oh, well, you know, not, not a guy that I've recruited at that age plays defense. But come on, the best players, these these generational players, they play defense. He doesn't. I'm not really sure he's a team player when he's driving guys like incoming MSU commit Jaden Akins out the door because he wasn't all about all Imani all the time. You know, i.e. get me the ball, feed me the ball so I can get my 30 shots. He's every other top five recruit of late. I do not see him as a generational talent at all. You know, like I looked at LeBron when he was in high school and said, that dude's a man. I'm not a LeBron fan, as we've talked about, but there's no comparison. To basically put Bates in that stratosphere, no way. No way. He reminds me more of, oh, shoot, I can't remember his name. I think he went to maybe the Clippers or maybe the 76ers with the first pick a while ago, right out of high school when you could still do that. Long, spindly guy, didn't amount to much, if anything. Um, 
you know, again, a guy like LeBron, you knew who he was special. Bates, to me, he's a spindly little wiener. He got owned by this year's top recruit, another spindly little wiener. I was not so little. Chet Holmgren, he's huge, he's tall. He's, a, you know, the unicorn uh, in the game that I watched them play on ESPN. I'm not a scout, but I just don't see it. Uh, he never would have fit in the way with it is or runs things. His dad, for Michigan State fans that have been around for a while, is like Marcus Taylor's dad, only worse. And it feels like he's going anywhere that a coaching move could be in play for him. Um, that all feels mighty dirty to me, even if it does happen a lot. It seems like an impermissible, impermissible benefit, in fact. Um, I believe MSU will be better off not having him, as I don't think his game even fits us. I have him as a marginally better Marcus Bingham at this point, and we all know that it took almost all of three seasons for me to settle on Bingham being even a plus player for Michigan State. All right, Ryan, that's a lot, and I could go on and on about it, but what are your thoughts on Bates and oh, prep yeah, schools? absolutely echo everything you said. Um, you know, I'm not going to say too much because I basically had written down what you said, but, yeah, I think prep schools are – are just more and more becoming just a factory for sending guys to the pros and kind of getting people in their ear, telling them to go certain places, kind of getting into a mess, you know, like we, like you said. I mean, I think it's really hurting college basketball in a way, um, especially with this high school straight to the G League stuff. A lot of guys are just, they want money. And I'd rather they, them just go to the NBA yeah, directly. I mean, if that's what they're going to do, go. Yeah, I, mean, I don't it, care. Go. I, just don't, I just don't get it. Like if you, like Imani, I mean, like we, I, I, I was very surprised when he committed to Michigan State. I remember it was like, well, this isn't real. This can't be real. And I, I had a feeling all along that he would never wear green and white. I thought he'd always end up going overseas or going to the G League or somehow find his way to the NBA. I think his dad um, has a big thing to do with this. is like LeVar Ball, to be honest with you, just kind of controlling it, like mm-hmm. you said. I mean, I, I don't get why he would even have committed to a college when he probably knew that he wasn't. I think he probably was doing it for the clout. Um, and the the attention getting on ESPN all the stuff because when he when he committed he was on TV just doing interviews like yeah I'm going to Michigan State well and that was when they were announcing this fake prep school that's right, affiliated with exactly. an online school down in Ipsy right. it, which it, it is just a, a basketball factory right. it was a, it was a it, yeah it's a basketball factory I think that like you said Bates I think he he has potential to be very good but he he blows over in a stiff windstorm he's skinny he's head case he's Soft. He's very soft right now. I mean, he's young. He's only like 17 years old. I get that. But you can't tell me, like Zion Williamson at the I played against him when he was the same age, and he was not like that. He was built. He looked the same as he does now. He's built. You can tell he's mature. And he's not like that. I just, like, I feel like people would get in his head. So, interesting movement there with Amani. Um, you know, I think sooner rather than later, we'll see him playing in the pros. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I was Tyson Chandler. That's who I was trying to remember. I mean, I think he amounted to a decent guy, but just similar to what he reminds me of. All right, spot number three. um, That out of the way, and back to what drives Ryan and me during this spring and sports, spring and summer sports lull. Golf. Shout out to the big fella for always taking me somewhere new for my birthday and on his dime. This past weekend, we played Hawkshead in South Haven. Ryan, um, give us a little high-level overview of Hawkshead. Yeah, this is a course I played um, last uh, spring, and this is the second time I played it. Um, yeah, this is an Arthur Hills course. Uh, if you know anything about Arthur Hills, very uh, hilly courses, um, undulated greens, pot bunkers, stuff like that. I mean, this is just classic Arthur Hills track. I mean, very open. It was windy as heck yesterday. I mean, one of the windiest rounds I've honestly ever played. 
in the course hardly as any trees that come into play. Um, but fairways are in great condition. Um, you know, this perfectly green. The the um, ranger was telling us that they have a new greenskeeper that's from Oakland Hills or something. So he's doing a good job. Um, you know, greens weren't overly fast or anything. Still a little long uh, for this kind this time of year, which is perfectly normal. Hilly course, like I said, really fun to play. I mean, waste bunkers all along the edges, which scare the heck out of you if you don't hit it straight. And I don't really hit it straight ever. Um, you know, just, just, just an all-around fun course to play. Good mix of some long par fives, long par fours, shorter holes. Um, you know, there's one that's like 230 par four. Fun, fun one to try to drive the green there. Par threes are kind of bland. I mean, pretty to look at with bunkers and hills everywhere but I mean all basically from the 140 to 150 range um, I kind of like a little bit of a range from like 140 to 180 190 um, bringing out different clubs but yeah it's just a really fun course to play definitely if you're in West Michigan area not overly expensive either um, it's been ranked as one of the better public golf courses in Michigan so I'd, I'd give it a play I'd, it's a fun one for sure yeah, and I would I'd say what makes it so good really is that it's pretty unique. It definitely, like Ryan said, it has that those Arthur Hills cornerstones, like wide sweeping fairways, big undulating greens, and miles of waste bunkers. Helps that it's built on some dune property, so they've got a lot of natural sand around. Um, you know, all eighteen. I really couldn't put my finger on what it was like, and I usually can. Ryan and I talk about that, especially when it's my it was my first time there. And usually I could say right away what it reminds me of. And for me, it was kind of like parts, uh, the Boyne, you know, Boynes Hills course, parts Egypt Valley Country Club Valley course, part Quail Ridge in Ada, Michigan, and even part the Emerald in St. John's, which has been a long time since I played there. Um, you know, all in all, though, it was a great course, open, fair, but tough, you know, not not too bad lengthwise, nothing too tricked up, no water. Um, it's probably always a pretty windy course because it's fairly close to Lake Michigan. Um, our round didn't disappoint. Gus had to be to 30, 35. It was a good steady 15 to 17 all around. You know, it was coming out of the southwest. So when you had it at your back, the ball was going extra. You know, it was a club or two less. And when you were going into it, it was a good club or two more uh, pretty consistently. You know, one of those courses where I only lost one ball uh, on the on the day and immediately found virtually the same one on that hole lost a pro v1 found a pro v1 both brand new so um that's a win-win when you don't lose a whole lot of golf balls either um let's talk about a couple of the other individual things ryan what do you what would you say is the best hole yeah i think my there's a lot of good ones uh my favorite one is just 18 i think it's sweet dog leg left kind of downhill and then there's a waste bunker then back up the hill um, big pot bunker and hill in front of the green and that I just think it's a fun one yeah I think that's probably the prettiest hole for me just you know you have kind of some trees on the left which there aren't a whole lot of trees there pretty open to the right so if you bail on the on the dog leg and don't try to cut the corner huge waste bunker uh, playable but waste bunker kind of a you know longer skinnier green tucked into kind of a hill good looking hole I really like number 11 uh, Ryan alluded to the short par four. It's a horseshoe shaped short par four. So, you know, if you wanted to be smart, you want to play to the be able to play to your approach to a fat part of the green. You just hit a little iron off the tee, um, but you can definitely attempt to drive it by cutting over the huge waste bunker. the The thing is, is the green looks tiny from the tee that way. We both went for it. Um, I was a little bit further along than Ryan, but both 
both were right there. I chipped on in three jacks, so that was not nice. And Ryan flubbed his chip and, and two-putted for a five, which, by the way, he also beat me on the round, and we keep good track of that. So he's up so far for the year. But that was kind of my favorite hole just because it's one of those risk-reward things. I'm a big fan of those. Um, I'm not someone who can risk-reward get home in two on a whole lot of par fives as I'm getting older, but um, I like kind of those shorty par fours or just a little visual interest. All right, so with that, Ryan, what hole – would you change or replace or skip if you could? Yeah, you know, I think that there's not really a hole that I would skip, to be honest with you. If I, if I were to change one a little bit, um, yeah, I, I think hole number 12, um, actually, let's switch it. Let's go to the front. And I think that hole number two could have a lot of promises. It's a dog dig right, short, kind of a shorter par five, winners at our back yesterday. I think that if they put some more bunkers in front of the green and make it a little harder, I think it's pretty easy right now i mean if you're in the fairway you got a really good chance of getting birdie on that hole so i think that that would make that one a little better but i wouldn't replace any of the holes i think they're all unique and pretty good golf holes yeah from that because that from that tee it was a pretty short par five too so either make it a long par four and leave it how it is or yeah i mean it's it's a pretty good dip in front of it from end of the fairway so you know they could do some stuff down there maybe a big waste bunker or something like that would be kind of cool um you know, I would say the back nine is definitely more unique than the front, um, and I would not really replace or skip any holes, but if there was one hole I'd change, it would be 15. It's actually a beast of a par four, and it was playing straight ass in the wind yesterday. It's like almost as long as number two is as a par five. Um, both Ryan and I, I think we're both a little bit long left on that on our approaches into the wind, hit some some good hybrids into that one. Um, it's that kind of a long hole into the into the wind, um, but it was just kind of two grass bunkers left of the green. I think it would be tougher as sand, um, not water. Obviously, that would be that would be ridiculously hard. But you know, just a little something for the average amateurs who don't play the sand all that well. Uh, that's probably one thing that I would change on an otherwise good course. Um, wrapping up for the review for this course this week. Let's do a little scale of one to five ratings. Ryan, rate the course uh, for the greens, one to five. Yeah, I think the greens, we'll, we'll, we'll go with a four. I mean, they were not overly fast or overly slow, but I mean, they could have been a little better. But yeah, yeah, and I'd say they were a little slow. You know, it's May, so not not a big surprise. Actually in really good shape for May, though. And the, like Ryan said, the Rangers said the new greenskeeper argues with the owner over this. He wants them lightning fast. The owner doesn't. I like them fast myself. I struggle with slow greens, and it shows in the fact that I had like two one putts yesterday and two three putts and had 36 putts, which isn't going to get you anywhere for a round. Um, but I'll give it a solid four there. How about scenery? Yeah, you know, I think that some of the holes are very scenic and some of them are just pretty Yeah, So I'd, I'll give it a three and a half. I mean, it's not the most visually appealing course. Really fun to play, but... Yeah, I would I would agree with that. No lake views or anything like that. I mean, you think South Haven, you're thinking Lake Michigan, but it's inland a little bit. You know, the dunesy nature of the area makes it a pretty course, I would say, on its own. Number 10 is kind of a cool hole where you cross that um, same waste bunker that you cross on 18. I'd also give it a three and a half. And how about for variety, Ryan? Yeah, I'd say four and a half on variety. I mean, I think that there's... Uh, aside from the par threes, there's a good mix. Of, like I said, shorter par fours, longer par fours, um, you know, dog legs, um, waste bunkers thrown in there. I mean, just like tougher approach shots. So I think that that, that really goes in. Some long par fives as well. 
Yeah, I thought a great mix of risk-reward holes, some standard three-shot par fives, you know, a low iron par th- and some low low iron par threes, although those were pretty well the same, but visually they had some different looks to them for sure. Um, I really like the variety myself, especially on the back nine, so I'll go four here myself. Uh, and how about overall, Ryan? What are you giving it on a scale of one to five? Yeah, I'd give it about a 4.5. I mean, it's not the best course I've ever played, but still it's a really fun one to play. Um absolutely would go back again yeah um of course i'd play at least once i mean we've got a pretty good rota that we've added of courses that we always play at least once a year um it's definitely a course i'd play once a year for sure if i was even closer to the area it's really kind of off off the beaten path and tough to get to honestly um but if i play if i live nearby i could definitely see myself playing it regularly because it's a fun little course you could switch it up and play you know three or four of the different T sets and really change the look of that course. But I'll give it a solid four as well. And we'll see uh, next week. We'll probably be playing Makatawa legends here in Holland and we will rate that up next week. All right. Spot number four, uh, back to a little bit of Mount Rushmore fun this week. Um, we'll go back and forth with this one. It's not a draft or anything. Um, let's, we're going to do this based off of games we've been to or games we've watched. Um, so the first category is most famous game you've attended. I'll go first. Well, I mean, I've been to a lot of games. I'm obviously quite a bit older than Ryan, so I've been to a lot of games, not as many in the NBA or NFL. In fact, only one NFL game. That was the uh, Harbaugh, Jim Schwartz, handshake gate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been to a lot of baseball games. I've been to a, you know, a lot of college basketball and football games. I would say um, the most famous has got to be Game 6, Cubs-Marlins, NLCS, October 14, 2003. <laughs> I sat some 20 rows behind the infamous Steve Bartman and went from about to witness one-of-a-kind history you know, with the Cubs finally getting back to the World Series to a whole new level of history. Um, funny story to add on there, my grandmother-in-law called my wife and thought I was the one who interfered at first because I was that kind of a fan, which is classic. No, I wouldn't wear an old Walkman like that to a game. I would have loved his seats right on the left field line, but um, that that is one. I still have the ticket stub for that. I will never forget that. That is by far the most famous game I've ever attended. Ryan? Yeah. If you haven't watched a 30 for 30 on that game, you should watch it. Great one. But yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I'm however many years younger than you, so I haven't been to as many. I've been to a lot of really good games. I mean, I can't say I've, I've never been to a ton of really good pro games, so I'm going to stick with Michigan State here. I've uh, been to a few really, really famous games, I guess you could say, two, two of the best endings I've ever seen. Um, and I, I had to pick one. I picked Michigan State versus Wisconsin 2011. Uh, Michigan State won on the Hail Mary there. Kirk Cousins to Keith Nickel. Um, college game day, night game. Late October, sellout crowd. I mean, the place was rocking, man. I mean, it's crazy. Um, really good game, too, the whole way. I mean, Michigan State got down big early, scored a bunch of points in a row, got up, got Wisconsin came punt. back. Yeah, we like it was, it was a wild game. And then, obviously, Michigan State wins on a Hail Mary um, that was reviewed, a little anticlimactic, but pandemonium ensued after that. I mean, place was just in a frenzy. Um, so I think that's. 
That was definitely. I my think idea. I almost fell out of our fourth row. Upper yeah. Deck. <laughs> <laughs> and, also, and also, a game I considered was Michigan State Notre Dame 2010 Little Giants. Um, but oh yeah, Another the Hail one. Mary was just insane. So you just, yeah, you yeah. just don't see those very often, especially off the ricochet. That was a good choice. Yeah, that's all right. So let's go for our second one. Um, best game you've attended, and again for me, so many great choices. I've been to lots of games over the years. Um, I'm going to go way back to October 13th, 1990, the day after I got accepted to Michigan State, went to Ann Arbor to watch what was billed as number one versus no one, at least among Michigan fans. Shocker. Um, Classic back and forth game, really. I mean, Michigan took a lead. Michigan State came back and punched and took the lead. Michigan took the lead. Michigan State took the late lead and it looked great. Um, then Michigan drove down late in the game, had the you know infamous, oh, sorry, Desmond, why'd you drop the ball? Um, but then Michigan goes, people forget after he dropped that pass, they recovered an onside kick, and they still had a shot you know, at the end of the game with Michigan State you know, winning, holding on to a 28-27 lead. Um, just a classic rivalry type of game. I think even better because of where it was in my life stage. It just been accepted to Michigan State. Didn't expect much, you know, sitting in the, let's see, what would that be? The south, no, yeah, south end zone of the stadium amongst Michigan State fans. It's where I think Tico Duckett or Highland Hickson, whichever it was, scored the the touchdown that was the winner. Um, Just a classic, classic game and one I will not forget. And then when you go back and listen to the call, Keith Jackson called it. And any game Keith Jackson called was a classic of its own. So that's, that's probably... Best game I've attended personally. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, you know another one where I mean I've haven't attended quite as many as you, um, but my the best game I think I've been to just overall just joy for Michigan State and just pure awesomeness was Michigan State versus Michigan 2013 um, rainy Saturday afternoon East Lansing early November freezing cold. Michigan State holds Michigan to negative 48 rushing yards. We were, I think we were a bit of an underdog that game, honestly. I think both ranked top 25. Obviously, Michigan State went on to win the Rose Bowl, went 13-1. and But that game was – that was insane. That was uh, – I'll never forget that, just how loud it was in there, um, just how fun that was to watch us beat the you-know-what out of them. Um, a wild card game I had in there was Michigan State-Ohio State 2014, actually. That was – College game day, night game in November. Um, was there from the beginning of college game day through the end of the game. Michigan State ended up losing, I think, like 48-37 maybe. But, I mean, there were two heavyweights going at top seven or eight teams. I mean, Michigan State was in the running for the college football playoff there and then lost that game. And Ohio State obviously won it all. But that game was insane. Um, both teams were excellent offensively that year. So that was my little second placer. Um for the best game. Of the yeah, good good choices. The good news is that most of Ryan's games we've been to together, so I get to experience those uh, in the highs and the lows of those. So we're going to go low here. Can't can't talk about only good ones. We're going to go with the worst game you've been to. Um, and for me, it's an almost equal amount of these, sadly, as the good ones when it comes to Michigan State anyway. But I got to go, and, and our boy Polo, if he's listening, will sadly remember this. Uh, probably more than any of us, but so will Dauber, so will Jeff. Um, I have to go March 17th, 1995, Michigan State, number three seed, versus Weber State, number 14 seed, Tallahassee, Florida. Drove all night to watch what we thought might be a Final Four team. 
Judd's, you know, Judd, Judd's last run, fire and ice, um, had just finished behind Purdue in the Big Ten, but kind of had it together, had a pretty favorable draw there, would have played, I think, Georgetown in the second round, um, maybe even with like an Allen Iverson Georgetown it might have been. Uh, anyway, whole nine yards, still probably the most painful loss I've ever attended in person. Got down there, watched the two early games, got the session tickets, you know, to watch Michigan State. They played the 7 o'clock version, whatever time it was at that point. And all I can say is Weber State. Jeez. Ryan, how about you? Yeah, with this one, it was this is the easiest game to pick. Um, flashback, 10 years, uh, 2011 Capital One Bowl drubbing against Alabama. Uh, Michigan What's State versus Alabama. First game we ever left early. Uh, yeah, that was... I mean, from the beginning, it was a it was Rachel it was, cried. It was murder. Doc Kirk I mean, Cousins was getting murdered. It by was a Alabama. murder. Um, yeah. Alabama was out for blood. They're pissed. They didn't make it to a BCS bowl, and they beat Michigan State forty nine or forty eight to six or seven. I mean, yeah, it was it was, it was out was of bad. control. I mean, it was men versus boys that day. I mean, you could tell that they. I feel like Keith Nickel might have been the only one to throw a touchdown pass that game. Some messed like up something like, like that. It was insane. Then. I'd say the second, my second place was more, a more recent game. Actually, back 2016, Michigan State versus Wisconsin. Michigan State was had just beaten Notre Dame all high, coming off the college football playoff. You know, top ten team um, looked really good against Notre Dame, and then they played against Wisconsin. They just get absolutely smoked. I think it was the first home game that we ever left early um, for football, and then that season just went on a downward spiral. Uh, and it's been that. not great since. That's yeah, for sure. so I think that might have been the been the tip of the iceberg there. But that, those two definitely, but definitely the Bama one. That one was that was yeah, bad. That was bad. That was bad. All right, so we got to end on a positive note with the Mount Rushmore most memorable game you've ever watched on TV. So not attended, but watched on TV. For me, so many. Of course, with every pick, so many directions to go here. I mean, I remember Magic Bird was really the first big thing that I I watched on TV. Uh, MSU in the 88 and 2014 Rose Bowls, trouble with a snap, of course, never forget that. Um, and those are just MSU games. I've seen a lot of absolute classics. I mean, even, you know, the uh, 49ers, Cowboys, um, Dwight Clark in the end zone, Montana to him. I mean, just classics. But without a doubt, my most memorable game was February 22nd. 1980, USA's win over Russia, then the Soviet Union, in the game um, with a movie made after it, Miracle. That game made me realize what it was like to come together as an entire country and root for the same thing. Today's USA could take some lessons from that. Ryan? Yeah, you know, um, I'm going to go basketball here because I did football for the other ones. And that game for me was is North Carolina versus Villanova 2016 National Championship. That's probably one of the best games bar none I've seen. Um, crazy competitive. Uh, obviously, the Marcus Page double clutch shot to tie it. Then Chris Jenkins hits the winner at the buzzer to win a national championship. Uh, don't get any more drama than that. So that's my number one. Yeah, I thought about um, MSU Duke from a couple years ago. Definitely that was a great well. one. Back and forth. Um I mean, there's so many good Michigan State ones for sure, but I had to. I had to. You can't beat USA beating Russia. That's classic. I mean, they made the old dome bubble hockey game out of that. That whole thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pretty classic. So that was a fun Mount Rushmore. 
Let's head to spot five, a little hot topic of conversation among the two of us and uh, often on text with my buddies, and that is how do we fix the absolute beep show that this transfer free-for-all has created? Ryan, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think the word, the first word that pops in my head with the transfer is consistency. I mean, the NCAA is finally kind of starting to come together and piece together, you know, this is what's going to happen, and we're going to stick with this. And it's been an issue for a while, obviously. I mean, growing and growing. Um, I think that ultimately the, the they're going to settle on the one-time immediate eligibility. I think that makes sense if it's the same for everyone, you know, not just the grad transfer rule, um, you know. Um, I think that not making changes and exceptions for other teams, I think that's been the, the big bugaboo with, with transfers. I mean, you look at... Teams like I think like Ohio State a couple years ago, Justin Fields, he transferred from Georgia to Ohio State, and he got immediate eligibility for no reason. There's a guy that played for Georgia that transferred to Illinois to be near his sick grandparents because um, he was close with them, and he didn't get immediate eligibility, um, which is ridiculous. Um, not just saying this Justin Fields thing. Michigan, Shea Patterson got it a few years ago when he wasn't a grad transfer, um, but, and just so on and so forth. I mean, a lot of weird things have happened, but I think that – People are going to keep team hopping. Um, it's going to turn into a free agency, really, if there's no no work done on this. And I think that, you know, um, that like I said, that it needs to be one-time immediate eligibility. And then if you want to transfer a second time or a third time, that you need to sit a year. I think that that's ridiculous. I mean, there's a guy that I think he, he start Charlie Morris at Miami now. He started in basketball. He started at Cal, transferred to Kansas. Didn't like it at Kansas, so he transferred to Paul, and then this offseason transferred to Miami. So he's been at four teams in the last five years. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely yeah. It's against the spirit of what it's like. Come on, come on, man. To be. It's just it just needs to stop. So I think that the the transfer thing it's it needs to be handled now because it's going to the problems of the snowball and snowball is going to turn into a, an avalanche. Um, and I and kind of going off the immediate eligibility thing, I think that if a guy transfers a second time because, say, a coach leaves, it, it needs and he could be immediately eligible if he's a grad transfer. If he's not, then no. So that's what I feel about it. I think that, like I said, it's hurting college athletics because we're just going to get into bidding wars for these guys. Um, so And people contacting during the season if you think things are going bad. I know they talk about this a lot on the Barstool Bench Mob podcast, how – if the team's not doing great in the mid-major, like, hey, you're playing well. You could come for us. Maybe if you guys don't have a great season, come play for us next year. We have a spot available. So, a little, yeah, a little tampering there. So, yeah, we're going in a bad direction unless things are done now. I think the NCAA hopefully will uh, fix this. Well, the problem with the NCAA is they're one way or the other. They'll never find that sweet spot in the middle, and it's it's ridiculous. It's like, no, it can't, or yes, it's for everybody. You know, obviously it's no secret. We talk about transfers a fair amount here. I'm I'm a fan of the transfer rule, free market society. I get that. Uh, but I have always maintained, and now more than ever do, that it has got to have some parameters. Or like Ryan said, we're looking at one-year free agency runs in college hoops and football. Now, on one hand, that's helping Michigan State football right now probably turn the ship around faster because they can kind of replace guys that have left with transfers so you know we're benefiting from it but I still I've got three ways that you can transfer without sitting um, but any of them can only be used once 
So you want to transfer another time, fine, but you got to sit out a year and use eligibility in the process as well. So if you got to burn your red shirt or what have you. So my first after your freshman year, it's the big, you know, first big decision kids make as young adults. I've, I've watched it with both my kids, although, you know, I'll be at smaller division three level. But, you know, I think you give everyone the right to move after year one. That doesn't mean you're going to go where you want after that or that there's enough to go around, but that's fair to me. I mean, it's a tough decision. You know, maybe you, you fell in love with campus for the wrong reason. Maybe you just saw some hot chicks and you thought, ooh, I got to go there like Ricky Rowe and, and Blue Chips. Um, so I think you give a little bit of a free out, um, a free transfer immediate eligibility after your freshman year. Not after your redshirt freshman year, after your true freshman year. Um, second case for me would be if there's a coaching change, but I maintain that you should, you you know, I, I maintain you should choose a school based on if you if you didn't or could no longer play your sport, um, you know, this is the school you'd go to. But I get it. Kids commit to coaches. If a coach leaves, players, you know, I think should get a free transfer. Um, I'll get to a caveat with the free transfer, though, here in a second. My final scenario is a grad transfer. I've, I really have no issues with this. If you've graduated, that's the reason you went to college. That's fine. You get immediate eligibility. I've got no problem with that. Um, but here's my thing. Minus maybe the grad transfer, but I think you can't get a freebie more than once. So if you want to transfer from a second school because your coach left after you left your freshman year, sorry, but you got to sit out a year if you want to go that route. I think that's the only way to make it fair. Don't do these judicial decisions case by case. So this guy's leaving because mom's sick. This guy's leaving because he wants to have a better playing situation. Nope. Same rules for everybody. Wipe that slate clean. If it's a second time, it's a sit out. No questions asked. Because the thing is, is like Ryan kind of alluded to, if something isn't done soon, this whole supposed notion of amateurism, which is already kind of going out the window, will take an even bigger hit with the NCAA. So NCAA, pay attention, take note. On one hand, you kind of did the right thing, especially in the COVID day and age, give everybody a free transfer, but you're not helping anything by not putting some pretty sure rules around this. All right. It's been a good around the world. Let's end as we always do with a sprint. Go a little bit of a different direction than we sometimes do here. All right, Ryan, drive for show or putt for dough? Putt for dough, uh, I think that's where you make your hay, especially as an amateur. Yep. Uh, how, and this is thanks, shout out to Golf Digest for this one. How and what color do you mark your golf ball? Yeah, I have a, I do a black dot under um, on each side under the number of the ball. And uh, that's how I do it. Sometimes, occasionally, if I get bored, throw throw initials on there. But I don't need people to know who's whose ball got lost. <laughs> All right, now we you know we like movies here, but we're we, Ryan's in a little bit of a binge as he's getting introduced later and in, later in his life to one of the greatest sitcoms of all time, Seinfeld. So Ryan, favorite Seinfeld oh, character? Without a doubt, it's Mr. Cosmo Kramer, the ass man. All right, and staying on that note, favorite Seinfeld episode? Yeah, I haven't seen even half of them yet, but I think my favorite one so far is the Cigar Store Indian. <laughs> that is a good one. Drive for show or putt for dough? Definitely putt for dough, first of all, because I can't drive it nearly as far as I probably should or need to. Um, but I can usually make some hay around the greens, although not yesterday, therefore the 8-9 stroke lost to Ryan. Uh, how and what color do I mark my golf ball? One green dot directly under the number. Same with Ryan. I don't get into the fancy stuff. I got one of those line drawing things once, and I'm like, yeah, I don't need that. They put alignment marks on golf balls. 
one green dot on both sides is easy for me to find. I don't play a particular number or type of golf ball. It's kind of whatever I can whatever I can get that I like. Um, but then I'm pretty stingy with them. Favorite Seinfeld character? I mean, there are that you got to know. There's so many more choices than just the main four. Honestly, if you've watched the show, there are so many great support characters from you know. Mr. Costanza, Uncle Leo, Jackie Childs. I mean, there's just the soup Nazi, Newman. I mean, there's tons. That, that's that's the great part about the show. But I'm like, Ryan, I got to go with Kramer every single time. I mean, he mixes in just those snappy one-liners, the, the um, you know physical humor, the facial reactions, just brilliant. One of the best TV characters of all time. And my favorite Seinfeld episode, without a doubt, Master of your domain, a.k.a. the contest. All right, Ryan, hit us up with some final social media reminders. Yep, just a reminder to follow us on Twitter at the final score 35 um, Yeah, we appreciate you guys listening. Um, keep giving us your uh, what you want to hear, uh, who you think we should have on, anything you want. Uh, good things, bad things, you let us know. We're happy to hear it. Um, yeah, we, we appreciate you guys. Yep, ditto that. That's it, and that's it for this week. Uh, we're back, as you can see, with a full smorgasbord of sports. That'll be the case going forward, of course, um, especially as we kind of muddle through what's downtime for us, trying to find things that are interesting enough to talk about that we know enough about without having to do a lot of homework. Um, as Ryan said, share your ideas, your likes, your dislikes, etc. You can do do that on Twitter. You can do that when you see us post the episodes on Instagram. Um, if you got our text, holler at us. If you got a hot topic for us to debate, like transfers, let us know. That's the stuff that we like to know. If you want to listen to it, we're happy to talk about it. Um, you know, we're not going to get into UFC or any of that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, if you got some good stuff for us to talk about, hit us up. Um, thank you again to Team Anders Realtors, our presenting sponsor. Learn more about how Team Anders can help you with your realty needs at teamanders.com. Meantime, remember... The sea was angry that day, my friends, like an old man trying to send back soup in a deli.